Hallelujah. We haven't got a crisis following us. We've got goodness, mercy. Hallelujah. What a wonderful joy it is to be in his presence this morning. You know, we look around us, listen to the news, and there's lots of changes happening. Moment by moment, day by day, changes coming, crisis deepening. But you know what I'm glad about? Even in the midst of all of these changes, even in the midst of all of these uncertainties, there's lots of things that don't change for us as God's children. So many things that will never change, that are constants in our lives. Let me tell you one. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great, great, great in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a world in confusion, in the midst of a world that has no answers, that has come to a hopeless place. In the midst of all of that, great is your faithfulness, O oh God. Let me tell you something else that doesn't change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. There is no crisis in this kingdom. There is no crisis or uncertainty or inconsistency in this life, this joyful life that we have in Christ Jesus. You're immovable, believer, not because of your strength. You're immovable, believer, not because of your resolve, but because of the foundation that your frail little life is built on. Let the storm come. Let the gales come. Let the, let the sun be eclipsed from the sky. Your life is immovable, undefeatable, not because of you, but because of him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, of our faith. We are confident of this very thing, that he who has begun, he's not going to stop this work midway through. You've got to be joking. He gave his blood. He died on the cross. He went into hell and the grave for you and rose from the dead to seal it all. No, there are many, many constants never change in our lives. Hallelujah. And let me say it again to encourage you. It is impossible for a follower of Jesus, a lover of God, to ever come to a hopeless ending in life. Because hope himself has moved on in to your heart. Hope himself, Jesus Christ. Like Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives 
in me. Hope himself has moved on into your heart. How can you ever then come to a hopeless place, a hopeless ending in life? It's impossible because endless hope lives inside you. And in amidst all of the crises, in amidst all of the changes of life, hallelujah, our eyes are fixed on him. Our hope is in him. And it's not some flimsy, weak hope either. It's not like, you know, betting on the horses, hoping for your horse to come in and cross the line. It's not like filling in a lottery card, hoping for your numbers to come in. A one in a million or a one in a billion chance, whatever it is. No, this hope is certain. This hope is clear. This hope is a confident expectation that good is ahead of me. Good is in my future. Why? Not because of circumstance and chance. No, but because God holds my future. He's the one that makes it happen. And he turns all things together for good to those that love him. Those who are called according to his, his purpose. Your future is not going to be a repeat of your past. No, your future has got good in it because God's in it. Amen? God's in it. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. His steadfast love never ends. And in the midst of a world that's always been in crisis, right? From day one, this world has always been tumbling and spiraling down into crises after crises. This is not a new thing. In the midst of a world that has always been at an uncertain place, God has come out and declared, I am the Lord, I change not. Come on, look to him. Come on, put your faith in him. The one that never changes. The one that's never double-minded or vacillates between opinions regarding your life. His word is certain. He's given you great, exceedingly great and precious promises. Whereby you can become a partaker and you are a partaker of the divine nature. It's a sin to think anything else than the wonderful good promises and good words that God has spoken to you. Hallelujah. He's so good. This hope that we have is robust. This hope that we have is strong. This hope that we have is built for times like this. Not for us to recede and back off, but for us to stand up across the world, the church of Jesus Christ, shining bright in the darkest hour, in the darkest night, pointing our world that's in a hopeless place where society is all at odds and even now there's civil uprising. Why? Because people don't have an answer. People are searching. And this kingdom that we have will never fail. This kingdom, Daniel saw it as a mountain risen above every other mountain. Oh, we're in the most glorious of times. And our hope is in him. And by the end of it all, I tell you, God's going to get good from all of this. The church are going to come out stronger. The church are going to be more refined. The church, God's people, have been through enough. They've been at the, at the, the brunt of people's jokes. 
I tell you, at the end of this crisis and other crises like it, they won't be at the butt of people's jokes. They'll be shining bright, the hope of the world. That's what they'll be, a city on a hill. Oh, it's good to remind ourselves of these things, to strengthen our faith. Do you know, lots of times you read the Bible and you see that life always inevitably leads you to a hopeless place. It really does. David, King David, knew about these hopeless places of life like we do. But even amidst the most hopeless places and the hopeless times of life, he saw the God of all hope come to his aid. Even when he seemed to be at his lowest of moments, even when he seemed to be at a point of despair, suddenly God would arrive. God would turn up. And he would write things like this in Psalm 46. Let me read it to you. God is our refuge and strength. When did he write this? Well, he wrote it in a hopeless moment, at a hopeless place. A very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. David wrote these words in troubling times, in times of crisis. And he paints this picture, and the imagery is so strong. And laden with trouble, laden with crisis, darkness everywhere. And he said, when life is like a storm, when the seas roar and everything seems uncertain, when mountains that seem so secure and so immovable are almost coming, tumbling down, it's then that God becomes a refuge. It's right there when God becomes an ever-present help in my trouble. When I'm at a point of hopelessness, that's where God steps up, the God of all hope, and infuses me with confidence to go on through. Life will always lead to that inevitable place of hopelessness, but that's when God, that's when God comes along and, and he encourages you and he strengthens you and that moment of darkness becomes a moment of intimacy and it's there in the tests of life where you see him as a refuge, when all hope has gone, when it feels like hell, that's where you find him as a refuge, not in a Bible school like I thought when I went to South Africa. No, it's when you want to give up. It's when you're in bed thinking, my God, I can't go on. That's when he comes and you find him as a refuge and a strength. And all of these voices are going off in your head, telling you this, that, and the other. And trouble is, is besetting your life, not just for a day, but week after week, month after month. And he steps into it. 
And he says, I'm not going to meet you in the prayer closet. I'm coming into the chaos of your life to show you that I, not only can I answer prayer, but I can answer the realities of life. Hallelujah. Tell you, be encouraged. I'm being passionate. I'm not shouting at you. I just want to encourage you. I really do. Want to encourage you. Because the news changes from day to day. But we are not carriers of that news. We are carriers of good news. The good news of the gospel. Amen. Now last week we looked at Romans chapter 4 where Paul used Abraham as an incredible example. He wanted to encourage a church at Rome who were going through a crisis. And he picks up this amazing example, this life of Abraham, a life of faith, life that had been tested on every side. And he uses this phrase about Abraham, who was a supreme example in this area of faith and believing God in the midst testing times. He uses this amazing phrase when he says about Abraham, in hope, against all hope, in hope, Abraham believes. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. Sounds like a contradiction because it is. It is a contradiction. There were enemies trying to destroy the hope that Abraham held in his heart. God spoke to him when he was in Mesopotamia, 75 years of age, and he said, I'm going to make you great. He was past retirement even then. But God came into his life. He said, I'm going to make you great if you come my way, if you believe my word. And the God of glory, Acts tells us, appeared to Abraham in all of his fullness. And he said, I'm going to make your name great in spite of what happens around you, in spite of what you go through. I'm going to make you a blessing to all of the earth. And through your seed... The earth is going to be blessed. The only problem with that was Abraham, or Sarah was barren, his wife. She couldn't have children. And even at that point when God spoke, Abraham was getting on. He was already 75 years of age. And yet, in spite of it, he believed. 25 years passes. Abraham gets to 100. Sarah's 99. And he looks at his body. He looks at reality. So there's, you know, faith isn't burying your head in the sand like an ostrich and saying it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. No, Abraham looked at his body. And when he looked at his body and he brought all of the facts together, he said, this is as good as dead. That's where God wanted him. That's what God waited for. He waited for that recognition. He waited for Abraham to collect all of those facts about himself and say, it's as good as dead. I can't do anything to bring this promise about. God says, perfect timing. I'm going to step on in now and fulfill my word. Age 100, Abraham gets Isaac. Sarah looks at hope in their arms. We said it last week. Isaac means laughter. Laughter. Because that's what happens when a promise that has been patiently held on to. That's what happens when a promise has gone the distance of time. 
Laughter fills your mouth. Laughter runs around your home. Laughter grows up in front of your face. Laughter is your harvest for patiently waiting, for going through all of the circumstances that wanted to belittle you and berate you and bring your hope down. Laughter is the culmination and the fruit of the promise of God fulfilled in your life when you cannot perform it. He comes on through and does what only he can do. And we looked at that. And maybe Paul was thinking about this church that was in a crisis, getting persecuted for their faith, getting killed for standing for the gospel. And he said, maybe don't take your eyes off Abraham. Against all hope, in hope, he believed. In fact, He grew stronger. When things grew worse, his faith grew stronger. Let me ask you, is is things going in reverse in your life? Is things getting harder? Are your feelings becoming deeper and more downcast? Maybe that's the indication that your faith is becoming stronger. Maybe that's the indication that Things are as good as dead and God's about to work. God's about to do something. God's about to bring an Isaac into your life. And laughter's going to grow again. And laughter's going to be the fulfillment. Joy is going to be your portion. Because that's our default, joy. Joy is our default. It really is. Not depression. Not fear. No, you fight that stuff. You come against that evil, wicked depression, wicked fear. Because joy, joy, you're in the kingdom where righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is the atmosphere, the environment. Amen. 75 years of age, he started out holding on to God by a hundred. Not, not only is he holding out for hope, hopes before his very eyes, smiling and laughing and talking to him. I remember listening to a testimony, a very powerful testimony, by a man called Benson Idahosa. An incredible man, strong, strong preacher. Maybe go on YouTube and check him out. Scary pastor. He's, he's passed away now, he's, he's died, but do you know, an amazing man of faith, Benson Idahoza. And I remember hearing him tell his testimony of when he was born. He was born very ill and sick in the back streets of Nigeria. And the second day after being born, his father commanded his mother to throw him on a rubbish tip. On a rubbish dump. Because he was so ill and sickly. So his mother did as she was commanded to do. Went to bed at that, that, that night and then woke up in the morning. Only to hear Benson crying from the rubbish dump. So she runs to that place where she had dumped him. She picks him up into 
her arms. And she begins to nurse him and she hid him away until he was strong and healthy, until he could come back into the home. Many years later, after Benson Idahoza had received Jesus as his savior, the Holy Spirit spoke to him one day and said this, Benson, I am going to send you to many nations around the world to speak, to, my, to speak my word to millions of people. Benson replied, listen to the reply. A reply from hopelessness. 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 Right? A, re a hopeless reply to the God of hope. Listen to his reply. No, Lord, I can't do that. I'm black. Didn't you notice, Lord? I'm black. Now that's a hopeless response in the face of hope. No, God replied. I didn't notice, Benson. You're black. I thought I made you in my image after my likeness. What an incredible revelation. Suddenly, Benson no longer looked at his color of skin as a barrier, but a man created in the image of God after his own likeness. And from that one word, embraced by faith, hope began. Hope was birthed in his heart. And against all hope, in hope, Benson believed just like Abraham and he went on listen he went on to establish over 5,000 churches in 90 nations around the world to fulfill what God had spoken it's amazing what hope can do in the most hopeless of circumstances I wonder what the Holy Spirit might say to you or I it could come today. It might break into your tomorrow. But who knows? Very often, our thoughts and the hopes of our heart are very limited and under the rubble of failure. But oh, the God who is the source of all hope, as Paul calls him in Romans 15, can inspire, can raise up, can bring forth great fruitfulness from your life, even though you may look and see a past full of failure. Well, guess what? Join the club. We can all look back there and see failure, but we serve not a God who, who is in our past, but a God who is calling us on into the future. Hallelujah. Amazing what God can do. In those hopeless moments, this hope that's in you, 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 you haven't got to sustain it. You, you haven't got to try and retain it. It's a person, Jesus Christ. This hope that is in you, that thrives, that's alive in you. Paul talked about to a young church at Thessalonica and he commended them. When all the pressure was on, when all of the crises of life was pressing, and he said, you've got enduring hope to stand up under this, to be so strong, 
such early on in your journey with Christ, you've got enduring hope. It's a sign of life. It's a sign that your faith is genuine. And this, is, this hope, this enduring hope, we have as a result of Christ being in you. That's why you're here today. That's why maybe after following Jesus for the last 20 years or 30 years or 10 years, that's why you've made it thus far. Not because of your resolve, not because of my resolve. We would have thrown in the towel years ago. But enduring hope has take, taken you through every confusing moment, every confusing season, every moment where you've felt like giving up. You've come on through enduring hope. In hope against all hope, you've believed and gone on to the next chapter in life. And this will be your lot until you and I cross that line. Because we're sustained by the very power and the presence of Jesus in our lives. When we look at men and women of faith in the Bible, we see that all of them have this in common, enduring hope. That's how they were able to walk on their mysterious course, on their strange journey of faith, to apprehend everything that God had promised, to lay hold of it. That's how they were enab enabled by God to be strong in the most weakest of times. And like Abraham, against all hope, in hope, they believed. Against all hope, in hope, they pressed on through. When the enemies of hope rose up against them and tried to break apart and undermine and suppress and complicate that promise of hope that they held in their heart. Against all hope, in hope, they believed and came on through. This hope is in you. You and I have got a, a, a wonderful ability in Christ Jesus. That when against all hope moments come in life, we can remain in hope. We can stay strong in this hope that we've been given in Christ. That's right. Even in moments where things are as good as dead, it matters not. As good as dead. Wouldn't that be a hopeless moment? Wouldn't that be a moment to give up? Wouldn't that be a moment to question God when everything is as good as dead? Abraham comes out even stronger in faith. I tell you, you're exactly the same. You're no different. Why? Because Abraham is our father and that lineage of faith comes down from us, uh, comes down from him to us through Christ. Now for the remaining moments we have, I want to look at a young man this morning, Joseph. We're going to look at the moments in his life where everything was set against his hope. But in hope, he believed. We're going to look in for maybe the next 15 minutes, 10 minutes, we're going to summarize 13 years of experience, of hardship, of pain that he went through. And we're going to look at moments where everything seemed as good as dead. Dead in the water. 
you'll never amount to anything. Stood before the judge and the jury in his home, criticized remarks that a young man should never have heard from the mouth of his brothers or the mouth of his father. But he heard them. But you know what? He didn't cut his hope down to size to fit in. He didn't trim it down to be accepted. He came out strong, came out clear, confident. Some people would call him arrogant. No, he's, he's not arrogant. He's had an encounter with God. He's normal. They're abnormal. He's normal. Confident, clear about his future in God. Not proud, not arrogant. Excited. Excited about life. Hope will infuse you with excitement. Do you know what I found? When, when I've been low in myself, in my emotions, do you know why? And emotions are, are really good. They're really good signals to you and to me. I found that I've allowed myself to slip into hopelessness. And do you know what? Do you know what I've got to do? I have got to slap myself. You've got to be strong. You've got to be strong. Do you, know, do you know one thing about Pastor Ray that I love? Is that he is full of joy. Even, even in, in the most hopeless of times. Hopeless. Hopeless times. Full of joy. Why? I'll tell you why. Not because he's trying to fuel it with his emotions and his feelings. That's where we go wrong. But because... He recognizes the word of God and adjusts his life to it. An inch will always be an inch. It's never going to be two inches. A hundred millimeters will always be a hundred millimeters unless I'm doing the measuring. I tell you what, I'm not very good at measuring. I found that out recently, but that's another story. No, a hundred mil will always be a hundred mil, right? A mile will always be a mile. The Word of God will always be the Word of God. It really will. Joseph, we look into his life and we see the moment when hope was born. Genesis 37, the moment where he's alive with a new expectation. He thought things were good when his father gave him a colored coat. Because that was the sign of Jacob's blessing. That was the, the, the sign and the signature of Jacob to say, do you know what? You're going to inherit everything that I have. And I have a lot because I've deceived and, 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 and I've schemed and I've collected and amassed lots of things through my deceitful lifestyle. God has been good, you little cheat. But God was the God of Jacob. Isn't it great? He loved Jacob. Thank God for that. That's why he loves us. But, but Joseph thought things were good when he was wearing his father's coat. But I tell you something now, they weren't as good as when God came into his little mind and began to open it to a whole new dimension of life. Genesis 37, let me read it to you. 37 from verse 3 to verse 11. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. 
because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaths in the field. Then behold, my sheath arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaths stood all around and bowed down to my sheath. No wonder he was excited. No wonder was he expectant. And his brothers, it's interesting what words can do. When they're let out, it's interesting what vision can create when it's spoken forth. It's interesting the trouble that comes when somebody has a hope in their heart, a genuine, loving hope just to bless Newport with a new church. Interesting what can happen from people who say they love you the most. Interesting what words can do. Great words, godly words, vision-filled, life words. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. His excitement is growing even more. God's pouring it on. It's getting thicker. And heavier. And he's just, wow, the future's going to be awesome. So he told it to his brothers because he thought that this might be a more acceptable way of envisioning them with his vision. He told it to his brothers and his father, and his father rebuked him. And said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? What is this dream? A condescending question. Cuts in. But it is what it is. And when it's spoken out, all kinds of things go into motion to start to bring it about. All kinds of buttons and doors begin to open as the sovereign purpose of God begins to unfold for his life. Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth to you? My God, you're only 17. And his brothers envied him. And, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph's dream spoke of greatness. It spoke of influence. It spoke of rule. It spoke of power. It spoke of prosperity. It spoke of God. 
It was a manifestation of what God wanted to do in a young man's life. And for that, he was hated. For holding that hope in his heart. But God had prepared him for this. Joseph was just speaking out with confidence the expectation that he held in his heart. The future's going to be good because God is all over it. Don't trim it down to size, people. Don't cut it down anymore to fit it in. Just say it as it is. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Start speaking it out. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Nail your colors to the mast. It feels good. And if the hatred comes and the recourse comes and the opposition stands against you, it's okay because it's just a door opening for the purpose of God to take you on further into fulfillment of that hope that's in your heart. This hope was ridiculed. This hope was suppressed. And they hated him for it. This hope that promised influence, this hope that promised great position and prosperity and rule and authority was crushed. But against all hope, in hope, Joseph believed, just like Abraham, when everything seemed as good as dead. In all of those moments and all of that chaos, God just took him on into another chapter. Think about this moment that the dream didn't tell him about because there were so many things that the dream didn't tell him about. It told him about the plan of God for his life, but it didn't tell him about the awkward, nasty, chaotic process that he'd have to go through for 13 long years. But what kept him alive? Enduring hope. What kept him and got him through against all hope? In hope, believing. Genesis 37, 23 to 24, and i got to bring this in now. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic. We'll show you, you little runt. We'll show you. You, you talk about dreams. You talk about ruling over us. We're going to sort you right out. And their hatred had full vent the moment that he was away from home. That moment was crushing. That moment. Hallelujah. Came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Seemed like a dead end. Seemed like hope was on the floor. Seemed like everything was as good as dead. But all they were doing is opening a new chapter up in his life. They really were. And they were, they were talking among themselves as they warmed themselves by the fire. 
And Joseph was in an empty pit and in earshot of what they were saying. And they were conspiring to murder him, conspiring to take him out. And then suddenly, there's a slight twist, a slight change. And his, his, his life hangs, hangs on a thread. Midianite traders pass. He's lifted up out of the pit. They were going to kill him. They were going to end his life right there and fabricate a story to their father as they would later. But suddenly it changes. And the transport that Joseph needs is with these strangers that are going to Egypt. Up out of the pit he comes and they sell him. Genesis 37, 27 to 28 says this, or 28, verse 28, sorry. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. It seemed as if hope had come to an end. It seemed as if Joseph was at a hopeless place in life. But just like David, God, Joseph would find God with him right at that darkest moment. A refuge and a strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Not bringing great deliverance like splitting a Red Sea, but quietly walking with him behind the scenes of life. In amidst all of the pain, in amidst all of the confusion. Not like being with him in a furnace and delivering him before a nation like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but quietly moving and maneuvering him. In the lowest of moments and in the lowest of times, he gets taken to Egypt. These Midianites, Ishmaelite traders, sell him on into that slave market, and he goes into Potiphar's house. The Bible says this. You can read it. The Lord was with Joseph. Everything he did prospered. So much so that Potiphar noticed that there was something different. <laughs> Woohoo! Something different. Just something different. Everything about him prospers. Isaac. It is Isaac behind that mask, isn't it? Do you know, mate, God's been speaking to me about you. I tell you. One word for you, success. Success, mate. I'm telling you. Mate, that word comes to me when I look at you. Success. I tell you. When you pray for him, think about that one word. Success. Because that is what your future holds for you, son. It really does. It really does. <laughs> Woohoo! He's in that house flourishing. And he, you know, like you would, maybe he thought, here we are. This is Pharaoh's chief of command. I'm in his house, I'm second in command. But God's got bigger and better for Joseph. He's just got to go down a little bit deeper into the sovereign purpose, mysterious plan of God for his life. Would he have say, stayed there? Yes, probably. But one day Potiphar's wife lays eyes on him and she wants to sleep with him. 
and he will not forsake God. Was he tempted? Probably. He's a young man. But you know what? His heart was so in love with God. He so wanted to just serve God. And he's in Egypt and all of these things. He'd come from a home that knew Jehovah, even though his dad was a rip-off merchant, the Arthur Daly of the Old Testament. But, but they tried their best and they loved God. But now in Egypt, it was a godless place. This young man has got the favor of God in him, on him, in the most godless of places. He runs off. He runs off. Like one man said, a good run is better than a bad stand. It's right. He runs off. And um, Potiphar's wife rises up. She said, he tried to rape me. You bring this Hebrew boy in here and you give him position. You give him, he's, 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 he tried to rape me. I've got, his, I've, got his, I've got his robe that you gave him. And again, his garment seals his fate. Into prison he goes. Talk about hopelessness. Talk about your resolve being broken. Talk about everything coming to an abrupt ending in life. And yet, favors on him. God's with him. God goes to prison. Got no problem. Hanging out in prison with Joseph. Listen to what happens. Je Genesis 39, 20 to 23. He threw, Potiphar threw Joseph into prison where the king's prisoners were kept in chains. But the Lord was with Joseph. He hangs out in prisons. Loves it. Got no problem. Refuge and strength in times of trouble. Even though the waters roar around me, David said, even though it seems as if the mountains are coming down, because you're with me, there is a river that makes glad the city of God. And Joseph is in a hopeless place with a faithful God whose mercies never come to an end, whose, whose love is new every morning, whose faithfulness is great. And he's there with him. Look. But the Lord was with Joseph but the Lord was, was with Joseph there too and was kind to him by granting him favor with the chief jailer. In fact, the jailer soon handed the entire prison administration to Joseph. I mean, what an incredible guy. An incredible young man with an incredible gift from God, favor on his life so that all the other prisoners were responsible to him. The chief jailer had no more worries after that. For Joseph took care of everything. And the Lord was with him. So that everything ran smoothly and well. Bringing this to a close. It looked as if everything had come to a sudden stop. But this was where God wanted this young man this was where he wanted him right here just like Abraham when everything was as good as dead 
where everything had come to a sudden halt, where he was re- where he was confined and bound and locked up and enchained. That's where God wanted him, where he could do nothing to fulfill this word on his life. Now God could step in. Now God could could take a hold of the reins and say, "It's mine from here on in." And Joseph, in this darkest moment, is interpreting the dreams of those butler and baker who are confused about their future. And even there, in that dark time, he's still serving others around them to see the fulfillment of their dreams, even when his dream is on hold. And then suddenly, the key turns. The sovereign key turns. God gives Pharaoh a dream about What's going to happen in his kingdom? And it deeply troubles him. There's no answer anywhere. And suddenly, the butler remembers. I think it was the butler, because one of them died. I think it was the butler. The butler remembers. Oh, there, there is a young man. The Spirit of God is in him. See, people that take note of you because the Spirit of God's in you looks out of your eyes, speaks through your mouth. He's there. You're loaded with him. You're his very temple. There is a young man that, that can help here. Joseph, after a quick change of clothes and a little wash, is right there before the most powerful man in the world. He interpretates the dream, and then on from there, he gets, he gets now not... The second in the not not second in command to Potiphar, not second in command to the man who who was in charge of the prison. He's now second in command. <laughs> to Pharaoh. It's amazing what hope can do in the hopeless moments of life. It really is. Years later, as Joseph looked back on his life, his brothers in front of him, cowering before him, he served no vendetta. He tested them. But you know, grace and the goodness of God had worked well in all of the dark moments of his life. And this is how hope looked back on the past. But as for you, You meant evil against me. But God made it all work out for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And you may have gone through some evil. Some people may have conspired some things about you and put you into a corner and said, you're finished, you're over. When they say it's all over, watch this. Watch this. That's a God moment. That's a hope moment. That's the voice of God. It really is. No, there may have been some evil. But those very things, those very moments, those very triggers in life, you can look back on in hindsight and say, do you know what? Wow. It has been a bit tough. (laughs) It has been a bit rocky. The way has been difficult. The nights have been dark. 
There have been those sump-like experiences and those sump-like seasons. Like a grave with the ends kicked out. Walking in the shadow of death month in, month out, year in, year out. But now I'm out of it looking back. What was meant for evil, God has meant for good. Amen. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy. It's new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Your steadfast love never, ever ceases. And Lord, in moments like this, in the time in which we live, in the crises that seems to be swirling all around us like that roaring sea, when all of the stabilities of life seem to be tumbling over like that mountain that would seem so unshakable, and yet it's crumbling before the eyes of our world, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that are infused with the hope that's alive in your word, that you bring us on through and take us on in into everything that you've called us to do. I pray it now in Jesus' name over your blood-bought people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We're going to stand. Let's stand. Amen. Let's give God thanks for his word this morning. He, he's helped me, I can tell you. Let's give him thanks. Noel's going to come and sing. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And bless somebody in these times of hopelessness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.